Hello, welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I'm pretty sure Warwick Davis is taller than Gary. And I'm Gary. And today we're going to review and discuss Willow, which released in 1988 with a story by George Lucas and a screenplay by Bob Dolman and directed by Ron Howard. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? It is a time of dread. Seers foretell of a child that will rise up and stop the evil Queen Bavmorder. But she is rescued by Willow, played by Warwick Davis, and he embarks on a quest to stop the evil queen and bring the child to its palace. This way. This way. That's what I said. This way. So George Lucas was working uh, on uh, Return of the Jedi when yeah. he first met Warwick Davis and was so impressed by him that apparently he dedicated and wrote the entire script for Willow with Warwick, Warwick Davis in mind for the role. Nice. And of course, I believe he was only 17 or 18 when he was when he accepted this part as a lead role. Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't get top billing, though, as that goes to Val Kilmer. <laughs> yeah. And Joanne Wiley, who uh, who get billing above him, which is a little bit unfair, but I think uh... Uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, Willow for me, it's it's kind of always been maybe his movie or double act movie with Val Kilmer. Yeah, there was a budget of about thirty five million dollars for the film. Yeah, which is yeah, and also when you consider that George Lucas also co financed this film with his own money, and of course with Industrial Light and Magic at the Skywalker Ranch. Yeah, you know, investing into this quite heavily and it was considered a bit of a gamble really because fantasy movies had not had proven track records in the box office yeah yeah like uh ridley scott's legend yeah didn't do very well uh labyrinth believe it or not jim henson's didn't do the money that you'd think it did yeah it was really the home market that really made these films its, its budget uh, but there was other films as well, like Dragon Slayer, Crawl. Yeah, Crawl. Uh, and uh, even though they they may be cult classics, again, they didn't make their money in the box office. And so you could see why this was a bit of a gamble yeah, with yeah. this film. And why there was not a lot... I mean, Willow also failed at the box office. Uh, it only got its money back on home, home VHS uh, until it eventually got its cult following. Probably by all the kids that loved this film that eventually oh, yes. grew up to treasure it. Yeah. I mean, I'm a massive fan of this film. I watched it when I was at such a tiny age. But at the same time, I'd grown up on that. Like, they may have failed at the box office, but come on, these are the same people that said The Thing was a failure, you know, in 82. These films made their money back, but only when they hit that mass market material. You know, people were not taking their children to the cinema back in that time, and so they really weren't going to go sit there with their child and make them watch Willow. But get on VHS, you know, get them the board game, get them the video game. And all of a sudden you've just got, you know, fantasy legend heads coming out of the woodwork saying, give me, give me, it's my precious, you know. I, 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 I always feel this movie is like a Sunday afternoon, like a proper day off bank holiday kind of movie. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you're only really having time off when it's the holidays. And if your parents are busy, they're looking for a film to throw on. And this was on like maybe BBC, BBC One a lot. And I just immediately fell in love with it. I loved it, fell in love with the style with, you know, by George Lucas being a massive Star Wars head. Warwick Davis just, I mean, you say like, like he loses top billing. I feel this film, every time you talk about this film, his face is plastered all over it. You know, just him telling this story of 
Willow Uffgood, who's like he's not a hobbit. Like hobbits are taller. Well, it is definitely inspired by the Lord of the Rings, uh, yeah. but it also borrows pretty heavily from Star Wars itself. You know, we've got the reluctant hero, the farm boy, <laughs> who has to go on this adventure, and there's going to be princesses <laughs> and dragons. <laughs> but Willow, you know, he's got a family. He, he, The little kind of village that he lives in, he's trying to tend to his land, trying to keep his farm up. And we've seen the child at the castle with Queen Bad Mortar. Played by Gene Marsh. Gene Marsh is incredible in this role. Yes. Now, most of us will always recognise her as well from Return to Oz. The evilness just exudes from her face. She doesn't even have to say anything. That's it. If I see this woman in anything, I'm like, evil, get her away from me. She, <laughs> she terrifies me. But straight away, I'm just wrapped up in the atmosphere of the film. The music straight away. The set decorations. The matte paintings. This world is believable right away. See, for me as well, this it always takes me back to... to Conan the Barbarian you know Conan the Barbarian had been a, like a big success but then they try to hit us with Conan the Destroyer which had been a failure you know and then you've got all these kind of Roger Corman-esque you know sequels being made where it's just like Krull and Deathstalker and Dragonslayer so for Willow to actually say actually we're, we're, we're getting rid of the heroes right off the offset but here's your villains you know these are the people you're scared of the the, the child is immediately whisked away by a nursemaid. A handmaiden, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, we're led to believe that this child is extra, extra special. Here's this little tattoo. Weirdly enough, I've only just realised this after, like, the hundred million watching this movie. The Queen is terrified of the child, and yet the child does nothing. Well, it's the prophecy. It's the prophecy she's scared of. Well, the, the prophecy it prophesies that this child will come for, uh, come forward and she will die, or, or be involved in the death of the Queen. That's why she's got together. But the, the child is whisked away, kind of sent down the river like Moses as the handmaiden is torn apart by dogs. <laughs> yeah, those uh, Rottweilers in, in, the, in, in makeup, essentially. I was nice. like, well, it's not, it's not the last time filmmakers will try and dress up a dog as something <laughs> that it's not. Man, I, those things terrify me. They're like like wolves, like supposed to be the kind of like dire wolves, but just watching them just hit this woman, that kind of got me as a child, like, oh. It's the savagery of the off-screen killing. Yeah, well, like, oh, it? I can get into this because this is what I've been reading in stories. You know, they, you know, when you read a book you're involved in fantasy, they don't hold back and cut to something else. You read about the deaths of these people. The the baby ends up, you know, with with uh, the Uthgood family and the children find it first and then Willow's wife, Kaya, she finds it. I do... I fell in love with this kind of family element very easily when I was a kid. Because, you know, they're, these are the peaceful people. Nothing really harms these people. But here's here's the ring, I suppose. <laughs> right. Here's the magical treasure. That it is the MacGuffin, essentially. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. And um, when we get to the celebration at the village, this is where we're kind of revealed as well that Willow is actually, like, kind of in part magical. Well, he's an aspiring magician. Yeah. Uh, who basically knows some parlor tricks. But he's convinced himself that now is going to be his moment. He's going to get picked by the Grand Wizard. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we see this entire village filled of, you know, little people. Uh, and Warwick Davis said, I think this goes on record as being the largest casting call for little people ever in film. And he said there was up to 240 of them at once. Nice. And uh, we get this whole brilliant set that's built to scale. 
you know, and uh, and we see we see Willow performing his tricks. He's he's got a you know hole in a wooden piece over his arm. He's putting the <laughs> the, the spike on fire through. Uh, we see him make the pig disappear. Well, does but of he? course it fails, and uh, his arch nemesis Burgle Cut oh, yes. uh, is ridiculing him, bla- accusing Willow of stealing his grains. And so we get all of this build up before the Grand Wizard turns up, and he has his prospective students essentially and they've all got to pick a finger yeah. the finger of power and they all fail no apprentice this year and we we're, we're crushed along with willow because we were so like ready to get beyond our hero here yeah uh, but soon enough, the village gets attacked by those devil dogs. Yeah. And because we'd already seen the devastating effect of them in a scene prior, we know what they're after and what they're going to do. And we watch them tear that that cot to pieces. Yeah. We've got Willow's daughter in the middle of this, you know, fleeing crowd, just screaming. And she delivers it so well. It breaks your heart every time <laughs> you see that little girl screaming for her mama. Well, these devil dogs are running around. And it's not then we get the uh, the, the armed... Uh, guards with the spears actually oh, managed yeah. to kill this yeah. devil dog. I just, I, lo- I just love the fact that obviously this whole this this whole thing had gone from a great massive celebration to a bit of a downer for Willow. But now we've got this major action sequence. You know, no major special effects or, like I said, no massive barbarian coming in with a sword and cutting things to pieces. Just a couple of dogs in costume ripping apart this this cot. And when you know as well as the audience why why they're here, like the rest of them are just, you know, running around trying to cover what's going on. Willow's running straight back home. Well, this is the thing that I love how easily this film flows from the Bathmorder castle mm. to the child in the lake to the family picking it up to the introduction to the town to now the core to arms essentially as to what's going on. Yeah. Where we have the council meeting. And uh, it's, it's one of the one of the, the the things that I always found quite funny in the film is that Willow knows like the town people hate him. Yeah. He's convinced they don't I... like him anyway, and so he's like, "How can we deliver this Daikini baby to the council because they're going <laughs> to blame me for all of the the issues? There'll be a flood or a plague or a famine, and I'll be blamed for it." And so the moment he's walking into the council member with the child, yeah, they're just like, "Yeah, to the pit with whoever's <laughs> responsible for bringing these devil dogs to our town." She just turns around to walk right back out again. Man, I, I love the High Old one, uh, played by Billy Barty. I mean, he was Gwildor in Masters of the Universe, another classic. And, he, like, you say everybody kind of hates him. He's kind of sympathetic, because they'd also had that moment where he's like, which finger were you going to pick, Willow? And Willow's like, well, I was going to pick my own. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, your own power, it's inside you kind of thing. So the High Old one's just like, look, this is kind of your destiny. You know, out the gods... Out of everybody, they picked you to do this. And yeah, you've got Burgle Cut just kind of stood there ridiculing Willow. Just like, no, you can't take any of the guards with you. You can't take Tony Cox with you, you know, from me, myself and Irene, you know. And I can't stay, I, I can't go with you either. And then the high old one's like, no, you're all going. Off you go. <laughs> it's like, ah. Oh. And you, I love this little whole traveling little section. Because, you know, like I said, Fellowship of the Ring. 
you know, Conan the Barbarian, you just have to have a montage of people just walking, things changing. Love the landscape in the background. Oh, the matte paintings are beautiful. The cinematography is excellent. The, sh the use of shadows uh, and the montage of them going on this journey. They're going beyond the boundaries of their of their known yeah. safety. Which well, as I said, they don't even name this place, do we? Like, like you get names of kind of locations that they've got to go to, but it's not like, oh, this is Fantasia. It, it, it's... This is you it know. is one criticism I have of the film is that we don't have a map. We don't really get to see where everything is in relation but to I, each I other. I suppose that's what also keeps it self-contained when you watch Willow, that you haven't got like this whole massive universe to kind of take into account. It, You've it's got... just a little bit surprising considering how solid the world building is, though. Yeah, And that yeah. is what George Lucas was really a master at here. And it's not long before our band of Nelwins encounter Mad Mardigan. Oh. They don't know who he is yet, but they find this uh, this starved, hungry prisoner in a crow's nest. Yeah. And Burgle cuts like, hey, we found a daikini. Give him the baby. We're out of here. We're going home. Yeah. And, you know, straight away, Willow is just like, are you, are you kidding me? This guy's been locked up for a reason. <laughs> like, we got to do better than this. Yeah. And uh, Burgle cuts like, no, we're done. We're leaving. We're, we're sorry. We're out of here. And he takes his entire retinue and goes. And it's only... Samwise, I mean Migosh, Migosh, who stays with his friend Willow. It's like I'll I'll stand by you, and uh, they they spend the night there. They 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 talk to Mad Mardigan. We get some soldiers come passing by in the yes. morning, and we get a little bit because we don't get too much backstory for Mad Mardigan. It was in the screenplay. They decided to cut it and not film it because the film is already going to be two hours long. There's a lot of deleted scenes in this film. I'll mention some of them when we get to it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they decide they, they are going to release Mad Mardigan and give him the chance because he seems to have reformed overnight somehow. Well, well he, he kind of convinces them because, like, yeah, he, he's, he's angry to be stuck in that cage. He's dying of thirst. Um, but he overhears that, like, you know, Willow does want to go home. He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to be walking around in this world because they're they're they they're really mistreated. These these no wins, you know. Yeah. They're like like I said, they're lower than kind of hobbits. Where even when the army comes past, they just kind of ignore them. They just nope, you're a peck. That's what they call them. They call them pecks. Which even as a kid, I was like, man, that's really insulting. Like you you don't ever say that. Well, that was really stupid, peck. Don't call me a peck. Oh, I'm sorry, peck, peck. Peck, peck, peck. And you have the whole conversation between Mad Morgan and Eric the Red, you know, who's leading the army, and basically, like, Mad Morgan's just like, let me out, I will win this war for you. And Eric's just like, no. You know, you, you don't follow anything other than yourself, which is kind of convincing Willow, like, I can't just give him this baby, even though he's really convincing, and he, he's in the cage, and he'll basically take care of it. But once they unlock him, and, you know, let him out, you know, he picks up the baby. He's just like, yeah, I'll take the milk. Yeah, I'll take all this kind of stuff. And Willow's just like, look, you promised to take care of the baby? Yeah, yeah, I've got it. I've got it. He walks off. And then five minutes later, a crow comes flying past with a baby in its grasp and a little man riding it. A little brownie. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I stole the baby! I stole the baby! Of course, Willow hears this. He knows straight away, that's my baby. Oh, my God. And he goes God. chasing the brownie into the woods before <laughs> he gets knocked out by an army of brownies. Wakes up, Gulliver's Travel style. Yeah. Tied down, surrounded by these brownies. Uh, but then that's when we get introduced to Galadriel. I mean, uh, 
Uh, I mean, the, the Queen of the Fairies. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> she's like, no, brownies, untie these, untie these Nelwyn. They're, 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 Alora Dannon. That, that's who this baby is, Willow. And she's chosen you as her protector and her guide. Now you need to go and find Finn Rizal. And then you need to head to Tirasline. And then you need to defeat Queen Bath Mordor. And Willow's like, I just want to go home and, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, my farm. Nobody's looking after my farm. Like, she, she goes kind of really scary because she disappears at one point And then she comes, like, full screen headshot. Like, I'm telling you, this is what you must do. And Willow's like, Migosh, you go home. You know, like, tell Kaya, I'll, I'll try and be home by, you know, <laughs> tomorrow. And I'm like, because he, you know, and I really love that about Warwick Davis. You know, the building of Willow's character is like, you're feeling the travel. Like, he, he could die at any point. You know, and you don't want him to die, and you don't want the baby to die, so he's going to do everything to protect the baby. So then, when they kind of, you know, stumble into the prancing pony, I mean, you know, this this bar, you know, and he he's just looking for somewhere warm. You know, it's raining outside. He needs to probably change her diaper. You know, get some milk. He, you know, he definitely doesn't want to run into Mad Morgan at any point. And then he kind of bumps into this woman who's not really a woman. Woman. Not a woman! <laughs> Not a woman! <laughs> yeah. And of course, uh, uh, Sorsha has turned up with our guards. They're looking for this baby sent out uh, by Queen Bathmorda. And uh, and they find the baby. Oh. And so... Yeah, Sorsha. Man, the, the, the daughter of Queen Bathmorda. Man, I... I kind of really love the, always the interaction between Madmarka and, and Sorsha. The chemistry the was there, wasn't the it? The chemistry was always <laughs> really, really playful. And, you know, we have this first interaction from them. And there's just a way that, like, she realises that, you know, he's not really a woman. He's he's this guy. And he's kind of looked at her and it's just like, you're really beautiful. And then there's this moment later on where he's kind of got this love potion that's knocked over him. And he really kind of talks to her. But after you watch the Vow documentary, and after you realise that these to this man and this woman got married straight out or during the production of this movie you know Val Kimmer had already fallen in love with her before in London after seeing her but had never had the guts to actually go up and speak to her and here he is speaking to her on the set of this film you see the twinkle in his eye especially that little smile that he gives when she reveals that thing yeah oh man it's yeah, he apparently uh, struggled to remember his lines after after having kisses with her on screen. Oh, man. Uh, but apparently Val Kilmer ad-libbed much of his dialogue in the film anyway. Yeah. But we've heard stories that Val Kilmer can be difficult to work with on film sets. and so. But I think Val Kilmer really made this character come to life. He's immortalized the, the role of Mad Mardigan. You're no woman. No, honey. Not a woman! Easy. Gentlemen. Not a woman! <laughs> Meet Lug. Ah! This is really now leading us into our great big first action scene as yes. Lug, the not a woman, <laughs> comes over. We get the quick, you know, joke line, meet Ugg, as the first guard gets taken out. Yeah. And the chase scene ensues where they get onto the back of the, the horse and cart. They're shooting through the forest. Yeah. Uh, the armed guards on horses chasing after them. The wheel explodes after they ramp I over s- a fallen tree. Like you said, like, the... the, the, the the pace of this movie is just kept going. You know, even when it goes to slow down, two seconds later, it's like bang, action sequence. Yeah, yeah, and it's great. We've the only the only kind of issue I have is the brownies. Now I know a lot of people criticize the film as as having unnecessary um, comic relief, 
And so our miniature R2-D2 and C-3PO, <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they, they bungle around the sets. They, they, they basically spend most of the film trying not to get squished. But occasionally <laughs> yeah. they do help out where they manage to cut, cut some of the bindings that let the barrel roll off the back of the cart to knock out a guard. Uh, but they, they are comic relief. I, yeah. I, as a kid, I loved them. As an I, adult, I don't mind them. But I know it can put a lot of people off. Now, one thing that will put people off as well is how they're superimposed. Obviously, uh, Rick Overton and Kevin Pollock filmed all of their scenes separately on, oh, yeah. a, on a green or a blue screen and were superimposed into the film. Yeah. And, it, and because they're in so much of the film... There's a lot of it that doesn't look right. It, the superimposing of them in the film, not quite you know, polished. I, I kind of always just forgave it, even even first time I saw it after 88. I was just like, ah. Like, like to me, like in the 90s, especially when I saw it, I'm like, how are you going to superimpose two people like that? At that size, yeah. There's no way you could do it. And yet, these guys did it, and it doesn't look right. Stupid Daikini. Ask him to stop the wagon. Gather your wits. Come on. Don't worry about me, I'm fine. Ooh. Come on. And Mad Morrigan says to Willow, look, you know, you, you keep getting into trouble. Something bad's going to happen to this baby. I'll stick with you, you know, and we'll head to the lake. We'll find Finn Rozelle. As soon as I get there, I'll leave. And, I, well, I kind of do love that interaction between him and the brownies. Where he's just like, go find me for some food. And they're like, hey, we're not your hunters. And he's like, no. And they're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> It was one of the earliest mum jokes I remember in a film where he's just like, and take your lizard people and drown them. Yeah. And Raoul turns to him and goes, your mother was a lizard. <laughs> it's just like, is that one of the first mum jokes in film? <laughs> this way. No. This way. <laughs> but they, they get to the island. Now, I just want to bring up, there is, uh, like I said, there was some deleted scenes in oh, the right, film. Oh, right, yeah. And a lot of people uh, have wondered what happened to Willow's acorns. Because before he left, the Grand Wizard gave him three acorns. Yeah. And he was told that they will turn whatever he throws them to, to stone. Yeah. And in the film, he only ever has two acorns that he uses. The third one kind of disappeared. Well, he, he drops one, and then he uses one. Oh, yeah. This deleted scene here, where he goes out, I believe, to, to find Raziel on this island. Yeah. Uh, he gets attacked by a fish boy. Okay. Uh, that's what the that's what the crew called him anyway. It's a boy that jumps onto the boat. Willow kicks him off. Then he reveals he's got these sharp teeth. Then he dives into the water, and we can see that he's got the shapings of a fish. Oh. Then a giant fish attacks Willow on the boat. Okay. But they cut it all because, well, the, the fish wasn't working, and it was kind of reminiscent of Jaws. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the fish just wouldn't work, and they were like, plus running out of time. The film's getting too long, so this entire sequence is cut. And Willow actually used one of the acorns there to to save himself from the ah. fish boy. So, yeah. Yeah. Never, never dawned on me. Jesus. But he does then make it to the island, only to not find the Grand Sorceress Raziel anywhere. Well, we kind of. I mean, we realise that she's been turned into an animal by Bad Mortar and... I think it's a possum? Yeah. And, and they, they they head back over to the other side of the shore and once they get back there, you, you realise that Mad Morgan's been uh, captured by Sorcerer and General Kao and the whole army and so obviously Willow's been captured and they... they, they are in their cage and they're getting ready to obviously escape because the brownies are really good. It's, it's kind of cool that you... I know they're, they're like the comic relief, but in these kind of films and this kind of storyline, you always need like the comic relief to do something cool to get them out of this impossible situation. They're surrounded by hundreds of the enemy. There is just like... There's no way Mad Mark can fight everybody even though he's the world's greatest 
you know, swordsman. Even Willow when he's trying to use like the the wand to turn Finn Finn Rizzo back, because as soon as he does that, she will be more powerful than anybody, just as much as Queen Badmorda, because the wand that he's got is from the Queen of the Fairies. So all the elements are there for the heroes just to kick ass. And then the magic potion comes out, the love potion. And you've already had, already had the joke in the pub because the brownie had got it into the face and he's fallen in love with a cat. And it seemed really funny. So then when it happens to Val Kilmer, and like I said, as soon as he starts talking to Saoirse, like, I can feel the love there. Like, <laughs> I know people, like said, people might say, oh, Val Kilmer's kind of difficult to li uh, work with. He might ad -lib everything. Yeah, got him a wife. <laughs> <laughs> I dwell in darkness without you. And it went away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it's a great moment. I mean, it's a little bit like, we got Willow like in the tent, like, get the baby! What are you doing? We're going to get killed! Uh, but he's completely infatuated uh, with Sorsha. He's been knocked she on the noggin by the uh, the dust of broken heart from the fairies. Yeah. Uh, so he's beside himself. and uh, But it, it's convincing because she gets caught up in it in the moment and when yeah. when when kale and the guards come in she's just like oh, deceivers yeah <laughs> like, oh. and then of course we get that lo that longing moment where they stare at each other when they get out of the tent yeah. before they jump down onto the shield ski slide <laughs> down the mountain i mean that they filmed this in london they filmed it in wales they filmed it at the skywalker ranch and they also filmed this sequence on the new zealand mountaintops <laughs> So they globe trotted for the for the locations I, in this film, and you feel it. It does seem a bit far fetched, though. Like I do love a fantasy landscape next to the next person, but it also feels like with Willow, like I said, they just go to certain locations to film certain sequences. And so this one, they needed like a really cool slide effect. So how do we get a slide effect? Let's go to a snowy mountain, and then like what is he? He slips off the back of the shield, and he becomes like a rolling <laughs> snowball. Yeah. And so as soon as I see the rolling snowball i'm like oh man it looks so stupid it does but it, it does so but it's, it's a kid's movie essentially so you just go with it and it's yeah funny. it's funny yeah it's funny <laughs> and and when they get to this tiny little village just on the other side of the mountain i suppose the army is still chasing after them and they come across eric you know, what's Eric, left of his army. Yeah, they'd actually gone up against uh, Queen Badmorda and they were absolutely destroyed. So he's the last. But, you know, after the first conversation you'd had where it was Eric saying to Mad Morgan, like, you know, you should be backing something. We're trying to save the land here. It's now Mad Morgan turning around saying, like, look, you know, I've got a purpose. I'm here with Willow. I've got the baby. And even with them all surrounded, was it they capture Sorcerer? You know, he's, he's in love with Sorsha, but at the same time, he'll kill her if he needs to. And you kind of believe, I, you know, I do kind of believe that he'll do it. But it's just this whole escape now. You know, we've got to get on the horses. We've got to get going. We've got to get to Tirislein. You know, as soon as we get there, we can get everything together and we'll be fine. And there was that moment as well, where is it Val Kilmer is looking at Sorsha's leg while she's on the horse. And he's like, I'm looking at your leg because I want to break it. <laughs> that's so romantic yeah. <laughs> but yeah she eventually manages to uh to push him off the horse and and get away of course my bargain's torn between going back to willow and then running off to, to for his new love yeah but he comes to his senses gets on the horse and he chases after willow to get to uh Tiris lean and they get there waiting to find an army ready to help them face bath Morda. 
and only find everyone there has been trapped in stone. Yeah. Like, it, like you don't really see, like, everything. Like, the internet's this castle. It's literally just this kind of front entrance way. And Mad Morrigan's just, like, screaming his head off. Just like, Willow, or, you know, Raziel, we were supposed to find an army here. You know, and Bad Mortar's already been there, turned everything to stone. There's trolls. But not the same trolls. Like, are these, like, original... The trolls don't look like this. I know there's many different types of genre of trolls. I don't want to get completely nerded <laughs> out about it. But it's like these types of trolls are not, to me, they're not trolls. Yeah. You yeah. Know? They're, they're, they're one of the most least convincing aspects of the film. They kind of didn't yeah. quite achieve maybe the effect they were going for with them. Yeah. The combination, like you said, of the, 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 the superimposing of the brownies on screen, I can totally get because you needed that totally small effect. But, like, especially in this battle sequence, there's a couple of times where these things are kind of crawling all over the place. And I'm like, huh? What's that? Oh, yeah, it's a bloody troll because it's just completely black of matted fur. <laughs> um, but Mad Markin comes across, the, like, the armory. He finds his own armor. He realizes that if he... He basically fucking John Wick's the castle. Well, yeah, I mean, he's he's on his own journey. He's supposed to be this world's greatest swordsman. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course, he starts in chains. Then he ends up in women's clothing. You know, before he eventually gets his armor and then eventually gets his sword yeah. and makes a name for himself. So he's got quite a bit of a nice arc throughout the film. And so, yeah, seeing him there in the armor, ready to face this entire army on his own. He races to close the door and bar it. Yeah. He prepares some defensive fortifications. He lays bear traps. He lays uh, spike traps or b uh, bow and arrow traps. Yeah. And uh, whilst Willow is trying to still transform Razel. Unfortunately, turning her this time into a goat. <laughs> and that's when the army attacks. And, uh, you know... He's, he's already used the wand as well. I don't know what this plan was. She tells him to use the wand on the troll, which is about to kill him. And he turned... He literally just rips its flesh off. Like, it's a really cool special effect where its, it's skin it's just disgusting. And then these two heads grow out of it. And you're thinking, what the fuck's that? And he boots it into the water... And this huge, giant, two-headed... I never knew what this thing was until recently, where it's an Eborisk, a two-headed Eborisk. It's it's called an Eborsisk. Eborsisk, Do you know what it was right. named after? Yeah, Ebor and Sisko, the fucking... The film critics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, um, Kale is also a film critic. Yeah. And, uh, Notorious for giving films bad reviews. It just so happened that uh, uh, Siskel and Ebert gave this film uh, their lowest rating and said it was one of the worst films of the year. Of course they did. Of course yeah, they did. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't, they I don't, didn't I don't, know. Yeah, I don't watch Ebert and <laughs> But it's a great moment oh, when it yeah. bursts up and, you know, Mad Mardigan's swinging his sword around like, ha-ha, you have to fight me. And everyone runs away. <laughs> it's like, ha-ha, my name is Legend. Until, of course, the humorous moment where he turns around and sees the giant kaiju behind him. <laughs> and he runs off to join the other army. He's running out of sight. They're all stood together. And he looks at Sorcerer. And then General Kerr's like, get him! And he runs back indoors. Which is such a great idea. Because now you're bringing them in to fight the monster as well. And, like, this... this yes, it's over the top. Yes, it could, probably could have been filmed better depending on what you're after but i just have so much fun because you know mad morgan's showing exactly why he's the most badass swordsman ever because he's just killing everybody left and right you know willow is trying to keep the baby as safe as she can but he's also trying to deal with the trolls he's also trying to deal with this two-headed freaking monster and it's just like I said it's just action after action like bigger than like the sequences we've had before everything that we've had before has led to this moment and now you're just like right the heroes have to kind of prove their worth 
And there's just this amazing moment where, you know, Willow is in trouble. Man Morgan makes his way all the way through this battle sequence to then rescue Willow. And then he turns and he sees the monster. And Willow's just like, Man Morgan! And Man Morgan goes, <sighs> and leaps <laughs> off the ledge onto the monster. Like, like he, he knew, like, <sighs> I've got to do this now. <laughs> yeah, there was a great moment as well. I love love the moment where he, the troll just yells at Mad Mardigan. <laughs> and Mad Mardigan turns and yells back at the troll before kicking it off the bridge. I was like, oh, that's the Brendan Fraser mummy moment. Yeah. I was like, so it goes to, goes to Mad Mardigan first, as far as I remember it happening in film. Great, great moment. But there is some nice implied gore with this 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 monster this two-headed dragon oh yeah uh that's literally tearing people in two i mean it like they, the two of them both tear that that troll yeah in two. we don't see it yeah but it's implied but they're eating guards as well you can kind of hear screams and then legs kicking i realized this time in the background i can see people running around on fire yeah because yeah. They're, they're, it's breathing fire on them. i also have to bring up I, I i i always get i always shake my head when i hear the wilhelm scream <laughs> yeah. this film did it three bloody times this way so good <laughs> we had the moment when they were escaping on the horseback we had the moment outside Tyrus lean where the brownies fired the spear yeah. uh, and then we had it again uh, in castle knockmar uh, when uh, when they you know, towards the end of the film when they spring the trap essentially yeah <laughs> Uh, but there was also another massively deleted scene here. And now, you know, some, you could say the shortcomings of Sorsha's character is that she just becomes immediately bewitched with Mad Mardigan and joins the good team. Well, because I... she switches sides here and, and fights alongside him. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the, there was... Uh, there was a shot that's still in the film where the the raven lands on top of one of the stones with somebody trapped inside. Right. That's Sorsha's father. Oh. And he talks to Sorcerer and says, yes, your mother, Queen Bathmorda, did this to me and all these people. She's a piece of shit. Go and kill her. Right. And she's like, I'm sorry, Dad, I didn't realize. And so she joins Mad Mardigan and Willow. Wow. Not just because she was smitten by Mad Mardigan. I was like, it kind of needed a little bit more with her character because um, she doesn't get very much. Then would, yeah, but I, at the same time, for, for me, like, like I said, in this self-contained universe... Like, the reasons I would give it would be, you know, her mother has kept her kind of away from men, has shown her that, like... Away from the truth and You know, yeah, else. like, you're just my bodyguard, I will keep you alive, I'm super queen evil bitch, basically. Um, and it was always destiny that she would finally meet a man, you know, and fall in love and have children. It would thus be, like, the greatest swordsman in the world and this baby. You know, it, it, it does kind of work. Like, the, the deleted scene, her meeting the father, yeah, I... I need a bit more explanation for these people in stone sometimes because as soon as yeah. they turn up the castle, you see like a few, and that's what I mean. You only stay in this courtyard; you don't actually see the throne room. Like I don't know who else lives at Tyrus Lean, you know. And this is what I mean. Like I said at the beginning, that with the baby, you know, they're like, "Oh, the baby is, you know, destined to end up killing the queen." In fact, it's really Willow and Mad Margon that actually destroy the queen. Well, it doesn't because... say the baby itself will kill the queen. Well, okay, but <laughs> like, like, did, did they? Whatever was going to happen, Mad Margon and Willow are the badasses. Mad Margon kind of kills as many people as he can, trying to protect Willow. Willow trying to protect uh, the baby. Um, but Kale does actually, you know, get hold of the baby towards the end and manages to escape, just as Eric is turning up with the rest of his army. And so you're really getting 
to the you know the crux of the movie where they're going to face the queen um and actually this is kind of where i kind of lose my interest in the movie or what kind of my love for it where i'm like hmm because you have the queen has to do this ritual she can't just stab the baby she can't just throw the baby off a bridge or something and destroy her and that would be free she has to do this kind of specific ritual to protect herself or to banish the baby I'm, I'm not entirely sure i think it was along the lines of wanting to make sure that the essence or the spirit or soul of this child could not be reborn again or even enter this realm ever again so she's deleting it from existence right right forever but but <laughs> but this, this, that's it it's like 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 that's a really specific detail of what she has to do in this ritual you know she wants to eradicate this baby from this land forever because once she's got the baby and and General Kale gives it to her. She's just like, let's start the ritual. And Eric and Mad Mardigan and, and Roselle. And they're just like, look, you can't do this. You're evil. And Queen Bad Mortar, she seems really like upset as well that Sorcerer's betrayed her. You know, like that's it. That's everything that she's lost in this life now, even from her daughter. But she just starts calling them all pigs. You're all pigs. And like This is not an army. And she delivers these lines with such gusto yes. and believability. Yes. And uh, but I do always laugh when she snorts her her lines yeah. or, or movements. Uh, but again, like the body horror here is pretty damn scary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. As we see uh, Mad Mardigan's tusks appearing, then we see his hands turning into hooves. Then we see the wide shot of the panicking army as they are all mid-transformation. Yeah. Some of them looking horrifying. Some of them is like half man, half pig as they're laid upside down on the ground. Some of them are just really pigs. Some of them just are just full-blown of... pigs running so around. They're just, yeah, they're, they're just from... Even me. Francine and, and Raoul are uh, turned <laughs> yeah. into, into baby pigs or mini <laughs> pigs. Uh, but of course, even Sorsha, it's like, uh, Mother, you can't do this. And then she gets hit with a spell too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before, uh, you know, Raziel was... was aware of what was going on calls willow away says you've got to cast this protective spell yes once willow realizes that his entire army and all of his friends have turned into pigs he knows he has to turn raziel back yeah into her, her human form and uh and again this is this is a really great effect it's it's a it's an it's a really good mixture of cgi morphing technology and puppetry yeah as she transforms into all of these different animals that are all puppets except for the tiger wow yeah and uh, this technology was it was the first time it had ever been used in film uh, industrial light and magic they knew what the filmmakers wanted yeah had no idea how to go about it and uh, and they worked on and worked on and worked on it until they got this effect and and it became they didn't even it wasn't even called morphing technology at the time um, but it was you know, it was so impressive that James Cameron was like, um, I, I want a little bit of that. And we see it in The Abyss. Then we see it in Terminator 2. Yeah. We see it in Ghostbusters 2. We see it in Star Trek. Uh, and it just, uh, until, until, until it was oversaturated and movies were like, okay, no more morphing. Like, we've seen too much morphing. We need to, we need to get better. <laughs> But it's a great shot. We finally get uh, Raziel back. She grabs sort of her wand and she starts turning these pigs back into an army. How long does, but, it, how long does it take to turn a whole army back into pigs while they're still doing this ritual? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it takes one cut. <laughs> so we know. So it's over. And now we have everyone back in the armor, completely, not completely... Uh, 
gone gone mental from yeah. their, their moments of time as pigs. Maybe they have no memory of their yeah. pig m- moments. True. Uh, but uh, Eric's just like, look, we're not getting in that castle and into that ritual room in the time you want it. We're, we're done. We're all going to die here. So I'm <laughs> yeah. leaving. Yeah. And Willow's like, well, uh, back in my village, <laughs> yeah, we like, have these gophers and well, this is what we do. It's like kind <laughs> of shooting womp rats back home. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And uh, so we cut to the next morning. Yeah, next morning. And uh, Raziel and Willow are like, we demand your surrender. We are the most powerful wizards and sorcerers in all the land. Yeah. Bav Morda's still doing her ritual. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, but every time it cuts to her, it's thunder and lightning and rain. Yeah, like another level. Like she's gone. But another the, level. We do see the tower. It's pretty high up in the air. Maybe it's a weather thing specific to the tower, the magic. Well, yeah. But like, but it does make me lose track of time of day here when but, it cuts back and forth. Yeah, when we see them in morning, like I'm like, right, this is like a whole new day. So like... Like I said, watching it this time for the review, I'm like, how long does this ritual take? Like, why can't she just stab the baby? Oh, she has to eradicate it. She has to send it. She keeps talking about the 13th level of something or other. So Ascension I'm like, of the spell, maybe? Yeah, yeah, so I'm like, oh, she has to get it to that 13th level. That's why it's going to take so long. Maybe they, they, maybe they had like two days they could have been fucking waiting for. But they lure some guards out, just Willow and, and Raziel. Uh, Patricia Hayes, I mean, I remember her as the kind of the uh, good witch, I suppose, from Neverending Story, you know, who injects fucking fa- uh, foul core. <laughs> uh, but she just kind of does look, I love the fact as well, she said she was really young, but then when she re- realised she's really old, she's like, oh, has it been that long? I've been, been in that spell for that long. And they lure the guards out, and as the guards start racing towards them, Eric and Mad Morgan and Sorsha and the whole army just kind of come out from these holes in the ground and so you're like wait so they came out of their tents and in the black of night without being seen by any of the guards that are on top of the evil castle that they're right next to they just all dug holes and then parked their horses in them now the only way i can think of this is that Queen Bath Mordor and, and the army inside think the enemy army have com- been completely turned into pigs not worth watching them anymore yeah and so, or once uh, Raziel got brought back to normal and got the got the the thing, she could put a spell over that's a, a, good, a hiding yeah, spell. And I was yeah. like, how are the army going to? I imagine they dug the holes underneath the tents so that they couldn't be seen digging. Then I was like, yeah. you've got these powerful sorcerers; they just make the ground disappear from under them. And so I was like, it's magic. It's, it's magic. magic. It's magic. I'll go with magic. I'll go <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, if you're thinking it was just a general army that managed to dig holes to bury horses in and keep them quiet until the surprise attack, you'd be like, never. Like, who pulled the sheets over? Magic. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's the answer to this. It's magic. But they managed to get inside and now it's just a massive, huge battle sequence. Uh, and it's really quite sad, actually, as well, because, I mean, Sorcerer, Willow and Rosario, they, they all head upstairs to the ritual room because they need to stop. Uh, bad mortar as quickly as possible and general kale uh played by pat roach you know amazing actor i just love him and i'll be the same pet you know he's in what all three indiana jones movies. yeah as a henchman as a henchman <laughs> um uh he's just a you know massive huge meathead you like we've seen him throughout the movie with that skull helm which is truly iconic especially for willow and he's leading from the front with all of his forces he manages to kill eric at one point, and you finally have that kind of camaraderie brotherhood thing between him and Val Kilmer, where he's just Win like, this war for me. Oh, and you're <laughs> like, oh, my Morgan's fighting the hero. <laughs> yeah, and uh, goes and for, you know fights his way towards Kale, and they have they have a back and forth before he impales him. 
Uh, but it's not enough to kill him. What? So he ends up falling on the other sword and pulling him down onto it before the villain's death. He gets pushed off the off the high spot. Like, at first, he kind of just punched him in the face. And you have that close-up of Kyo going, has he gone? Right. <laughs> I'm like, just stab him. No, my Marga. But then, yeah, they have that whole brutal final showdown, throws him off the cliff. And this is cutting also back to the ritual room as well, where, like, this fight sequence between Rasil and Bav Mordor, man, I know, like, Saruman and Gandalf did it first, but these ladies really pushed them to shame, didn't they? Oh, hell yeah. Like... <laughs> these ladies were great. Like, the spells they were using, the, the way they were throwing themselves around, whether it was the magic or, or whatever was going on, uh, it was great. And... Uh... Yeah, and unfortunately, Raziel does lose this encounter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't know what I don't know whether they applied extra makeup on Bath Morda because she seemed yeah. to age like fifty years yeah, throughout this sequence. She, it looks like a lot of this ritual has taken a lot of her energy to take out. You know, she dr drastically needs to kill this baby now, or she will be destroyed. As we said, the prophecy says this is going to happen. But the baby literally does nothing. The baby has done nothing throughout the whole movie and it's I, the MacGuffin that if it didn't exist we wouldn't none of these characters would be here yeah but I, at, the, at the same time <laughs> I, I just think it's really funny because finally it's you know when the baby is actually taken from the ritual bed by Willow you know Willow has always been your hero from the very beginning of the movie you know he was not believed to be a truly good sorcerer he wasn't going to be brave enough to to take on any kind of evil and yet here he is hiding the baby with facing the evil queen he's the only one he can stop and he throws that i always imagined it was the last acorn but supposedly it's the, only the second one he throws well, in the whole movie well no it, well, it's now <laughs> it now is the third and final acorn when you have the deleted scene and he casts it and she she grabs it you know but as she starts to turn to stone her magic is so powerful she's able to stop it but he does his disappearing pig trick which is just like it's, it's a great callback. Yeah, it's always <laughs> that sweet little fantasy, magical adventure thing. Like like in the Goonies, where it's like, oh, the jewels are in the marble bag. You know, here it is, where it's like, ha, ha, I'm more powerful than you. I've made the baby disappear. And Bavamora is just like completely shocked. <laughs> like, like the actress is just so beautiful and just playing this portrayal of, what have you done? Where have you sent her? I've sent her to a place that you'll never find her. And she's just... Overcome with such anger, she raises her arm in the air and knocks all the blood to her feet and the lightning just hits her all at once. It's awesome as we watch her essence get sucked up into the sky and yeah. the storm's gone. You know, and, uh, and and Willow is uh, accepted by Raziel as being the, one of the most promising sorcerers of our time. Yeah. And we get this wonderful wide shot of of everything, like, in so much more colour now. Yes. To represent that the evil has been banished. Well, it's like the people of uh, Terrace Lean, you know, it seems like they've come back to life. The spell's been lifted. The, the well, I mean, Sorcerer's dad is standing right beside her now in this oh, shot as well. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to <laughs> notice that next time I watch yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, Mad Mardigan and Sorcerer are, are together. They're going to raise uh, this, this princess child yes and uh, and it is one hell of a happy ending as they send willow off with his new spell book back home and uh, and yeah we see him come back into the shire and uh, everyone's celebrating his return <laughs> yeah. uh, even burgle cuts like what he's back he's actually no no 
Uh, and he does the same trick that the uh, that the wizard used at the beginning. Throws and throws a, some fruit into the air, which turns into the bird. Yeah. And then which shits on Burgle Cut. <laughs> yeah. It's a running gag. Yeah. Vomit or shit in his face. <laughs> and then of course he sees Kaya and his children. They run together and embrace as the film wraps up. Yes. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> Well, Ian, what were your favourite scenes from the film? Oh man, just absolutely everything. Just I could, I, I, there's just, there's just so many. Just everything just kind of escalates even more. Uh, I'd, I'd say everything. Um, maybe after the, the, the meeting of Mad Morgan, you know, maybe I like him meeting the brownies. Like I said, him, him finding Lug. You know, and the sorcerer and, and Val Kilmer kind of first interactions there. I mean, definitely the fucking fight sequence at the castle with the two-headed monster. Even the even the hiding of the horses. I know I complain about how long that ritual takes. But it, you know, keeps the ending of the movie escalating. And I overthink it sometimes about what I would do. It just it just gets bigger and better. And it's, it's magic and woo. Yeah. Yeah, so many favourite memorable scenes from the film. There's also great one-liners in the film as well. Um, I always remembered this and used it as a child quite a lot. Sit in your coffin and rot. <laughs> I want to cut off your head and stick it on a pig pole. Yeah. It's just like, oh, these are great. These are great lines. And those became um, playground taunts. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like the brownies, but watching Raoul in the in the giant beer mug, <laughs> beer! he just pops up. Yeah, beer! <laughs> dives back in. He's like, wow. He's on the wagon. He's like, no more beer. I'm like, yeah, I got you, Brownie. I know, I know. that feels. Yeah. The, the Battle of Tyrus Lee, again, it, it's fantastic. The, the two-headed dragon monster. Of course, all of this was foreshadowed by his kids at the start. Like, yeah. there's going to be trolls and dragons and other things <laughs> out there. And yeah, and watching Willow overcome those odds is great. Watching Mad Marnigan flipping his sword around, showboating. Yeah. Great, great moments. The actual mutation as well of the monster when it peels its skin back. I was like, that was gross and horrible. And the way the little heads pop out and they kind of look at each other. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Um, I also love Queen Bath Morda. Jean Marsh was fantastic in this. Uh, this is not an army. You're all pigs. Yes. Great body <laughs> horror moment. And yeah, her final battle with Raziel as well. Really, really memorable stuff. Well, Ian, I think it might come as no surprise. Do you it's, recommend Willow? Yeah, fuck yes, I recommend Willow. I mean, if I could have a perfect Sunday, it would probably be something along the lines of Krull, you know, Willow, and Conan the Barbarian, you know, just be like one fantasy moment after next with some magic thrown in and some swordplay. With, with Willow, like I said, it's just... It's such a good kids movie that an adult can watch as well that you just don't feel like you're being kind of mocked. I mean, yeah, there's some behind the scenes stuff, some stories that have been deleted. Maybe Val Kilmer was ablibbing all of his lines all the way through, but I don't care. It, it works. You know, maybe it's Warwick Davis that kind of keeps everything going because what? It was his his first proper lead of a film, you know, and oh, hell, you know, if I could have a lead like that in the film and just pull it off, Okay, yeah, people said it was a failure in the in the cinema, but as soon as it hit the box office, I mean, I I have the board game, I have the film on DVD and VHS. Man, I'd love playing the game on the Genesis. Willow, hell yeah. Yeah. Now, before I get into my closing recommendation, I should also bring up that because this film did essentially it, it kind of flopped. 
in the cinema, right? Right, right. Um, now, there was proposed sequels for the film. Well, yeah. yeah. And uh, unfortunately, they never materialised. But George Lucas did hire somebody to write three novels, a trilogy of books mm. set after the movie, which, according to fans... They didn't like very much because a lot of great characters died in those in those books, right? Which uh, which you know ruined your engagement then of the movie as well because yeah. you've read how horrible they die in the next book, and uh, uh, and I think in two thousand it was around George Lucas was starting to do the prequel Star Wars movies. He was just like he eventually George Lucas said he's disowned the Willow books that came after the movie because right. they, yeah, they yeah. weren't they weren't what he wanted. Uh, but it was only two years ago, 2020, that Ron Howard did announce that there will be a Willow TV series coming to Disney Plus, uh, and yeah. Warwick Davis will be playing Willow Ufgood in this new show. Whether he's going to be the starring role, whether he's just going to be a background character, we do know that it's going to be following, perchance, a grown-up Alora Dannon. Mm. Which, if the book material is anything to go by, she grows up to be a bit of a spoilt brat who doesn't listen to anybody and believes that she's the chosen one, profit one, and be damned anyone who gets in her way. Wow. So, it'll be interesting to see where it goes, but uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff of the Willow TV series is starting to sneak out. Mm. I'm excited for it. (laughs) But anyway, Willow is an easy, easy recommendation for me. It's one of the best fantasy films of the 80s. It's such a joy to watch and revisit. It's truly a special film. Warwick Davis was great in the lead role, and he really is the heart and soul of the film, showing compassion and strength with determination, and he's easily likable and relatable. Val Kilmer is always on top form, and Mad Mardigan is a wonderful rogue character that Val brings to life effortlessly. Jean Marsh was frightening as Bath Morda. Great performance from her and the whole cast. The story is easy to follow. It's engaging with lots of great characters, monsters, action scenes filled with swords and sorcery. The effects were outstanding and revolutionary at the time. The art of morphing, the matte paintings, use of green screens, puppets and sets were great. While the brownie scenes were noticeably weaker, the comic relief they provided made up for it. James Horner created a brilliant and memorable score for the film, which gives the action scenes moments of rousing heroic feats, giving the story that sense of adventure, and it also intimidates and creates dread for the villains. It's a great score. The film is a childhood favourite. It's a classic, and one always worth revisiting, and it never disappoints. It's a fun action fantasy adventure film. And the adventure... Doesn't get any bigger than this. <laughs> Thanks for watching off the shelf reviews. Good work, Mad Martigan. What the hell happened to you? <laughs> 